the Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today. Use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. Also, in regards to Onyx, I'll be heading back to the Grouse Woods one last time in 2019 with Terry uh, this upcoming Monday. And thanks to Noah Smith, Mike Dedusky, and Tyler Ross, of course, for showing me where to go and how to have a good time in the Grouse Woods. Um, you can also use Onyx to log those spots. Remember, you've got different new features, all kinds of stuff. So check out the Onyx Hunt uh, app now. You Canuba Sporting Dogs, of course you know I feed my dogs a premium performance blend, the 3020. Um, but you might have different needs for your dog. Your dog might have, you know, different kind of conditions. You Canuba offers additional formulas curated just for your dog. So check those various versions out now. Garmin. I want to give a shout out to Garmin. Check out both the Alpha 100 and the Pro 550 Plus. Many of you have asked and reached out to me for recommendations and my thoughts on both systems. I use a Pro 550 Plus, but I've met a few people that use the Alpha 100. Both are great systems. Check out Garmin.com now. All right. Um, Dakota 283 Kennels. I'll be working to make sure you guys uh, stay up to date with promo codes for the new year. I want to thank you all who purchased Dakota 283 products throughout the year. Use my promo code. Remember, use the code TGDN10 for 10% off your whole order at checkout. Lion Country Supply, of course, they are the world's premier hunting dog supplier, and they keep the Gun Dog Notebook podcast going by making sure these dogs have all the supplies they need. So thank y'all again. I'm excited to get out with Terry uh, this Monday. In light of that, make sure you go and join Rough Grouse Society. Make sure we help out the North, uh, North Carolina grouse population, American Woodcock Society, Quail Forever. I'm a member of them all, uh, Rough Grouse Society and Quail Forever. And, uh, you know, let's just make sure we take care of this tradition, guys. Terry talks so passionately about it and, and grouse dogs as well. And we can't do this without a collective support. Um, we cannot just rely on the state, guys. You got to put your hands and feet on the ground, guys. So here's another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast with Terry Martin. Stay tuned. One more time. Okay. Your buddy Chip. Kelly, which is Chip's wife. My buddy Chip, which mm -hmm. was Kelly, his wife. Okay. Uh, after the funeral and stuff, we was talking and stuff, and she was saying that some of the stuff that she's going to get rid of. Right. And she said, well, uh, I'm thinking about selling his truck, which was a 2002 F-150. Now, Chip went everywhere in this truck. Okay. He done his picture taken, had his dog box the whole nine yards. He went to Kansas, wherever he had to go, he went. This truck has been just about around the world. Right. And he bought it brand new. Well, uh, he bought a new truck and he put, set, set this one to the side, but it started leaking around the seams, around the door seams, a little bit of getting moisture in it. So he parked it and covered it up. Right. Well, after he passed and Kelly and I was talking about, she said, you know what? I think. Chip, and I feel that Chip would want you to have this truck. Do what? You want it? Yeah. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> so you just yeah. got a new truck. Uh, well, I got, well, yeah, yeah, I got a new truck. Yeah. It's a 2002. I cleaned it up and it cleaned up beautifully. Uh, like I say, it's the Lariat series and the four door with the V8 five engine with the 5.4 engine in it. The Lariat series, leather interior, leather, you know, seats, uh, all electric, uh, four wheel drive, uh, the bed on the back, uh, and two dog boxes, two carriers. I mean, I'm talking about the good carriers. Wow. You know, not the ones you get from Walmart. I'm talking about the good carriers. Yeah. One of the carriers, one of the carriers has a, uh, a, uh, a, uh, bedding over it to protect the dog. Like when the dog is on the back of the truck. Yeah. It has, it has a cover over it. Wow. So that you can, so that, so that as you're going down the road, you don't want your dog getting cold. You can actually button your dog up inside the carrier. Are you serious? Yeah. Yes, from the weather. And that's what I've been working on all day. It's got tag and insurance on it now. I cleaned it up. It's been inspected. So it's, it's, uh, we're ready to rock and roll. So <laughs> that is a blessing. So this this the truck you're going to pull up in when we uh, go hunting Monday? Probably so, which is it's, it's white. The only thing Kelly is, and it, the, now the paint is fading on the hood a little bit. Uh-huh. You know, she asked me that no matter what I did to keep that same color, even if I had it repainted, keep, the keep same that color. same color. I promised her that I would keep it the same color and not change the color as far as uh, the color of it goes. Because she really loved the color of this truck. I think that you, sir, I, I, I think that's a very negotiable <laughs> thing you got that's going the, on. That's the, least, that's the least I could do. That's the least you could do. So, Okay, well, <laughs> well, that was an, an a very incredible uh, intro, and, and I see you have had a good day. <laughs> yeah, like I said, uh, it's uh, like I said, uh, you know, it's it's a truck, you know, but like I said, it's a very nice truck, and uh, uh, you see it, but I get a chance, I'll send you a picture. But like I said, it cleaned up good. I got a few more spots I need to get on, but it's kind of one of them things where it's a work in progress before it getting off the mold off of it a little bit, you know, yeah. so, so uh, while I'm at the firehouse, I'll spray some of our secret stuff that we clean up stuff with. <laughs> and that'll help, <laughs> that'll help, help me get the most of the stains off. But Chip and I have a lot of adventures in this truck. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, I, uh, I was going to do intros first, but since we on the topic of Chip, I, I before we even get into you, because you got this whole long, extensive history too. Um, I know Chip was your buddy. He Chip Lawton is who we're talking about um, from Days Chip of Field photo- Photography. Talk about yeah, it's excellent. He he has contributed uh, so much to Covey Rise to God knows how many Gun Dog Magazine, all kinds of stuff. Right. So just. Talk about how special you guys' relationship was before we even get into your stuff, because I think that is Chip's way. I don't believe in coincidence is what I'm saying. That's Chip talking to you. Chip and I met. It was by luck. Chip and I met. I hunted with a buddy of Chip and uh, uh, by the name of, of Alan Mathis. Him and Chip used to work together at a plant called Wilson Art, uh, 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 Wilson Art. Mm-hmm. 
it was a manufacturing plant, a big manufacturing plant for our average. Chip worked there for years. He was a uh, he was a, uh, a, a supervisor. Right. And his supervisor was Allen. Well, Allen was a big grouse hunter. Well, we went grouse hunting. He said, oh, by the way, stuff. Chip's coming with us, which is the guy that I work with at work. And I'm like, sure, cool. Well, I met Chip, and right off, right off the bat, you, you know, Chip was the type of guy right off the bat, you like Chip. I right. mean, you know what I mean? I mean, you, 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 uh, Chip was that kind of a guy. You know what I mean? Right. And, so, and both of us was a whole lot younger back then, man. You okay? <laughs> he had hair. I still had hair. <laughs> <laughs> Black hair, right? You know, not gray hair. Not gray you know? hair. <laughs> so, what are we talking about? This is the 70s, 80s? What are we talking about? It was, uh, I got into bird hunting in around about 1980, 1980s, 87. Okay, okay. Late 80s. All right. Yeah, I got into about 1987. And uh, I met Chip around about 1990 is when I met, when I, when I met Chip. Damn, I was, was just born. Right. <laughs> like, so, and and uh, uh, our, our first hunting adventure, Chip, Chip carried two things with him: his shotgun and his camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had shotgun, bonbons, and everything else, and, and drinks. And Chip had his shotgun and his camera. <laughs> <laughs> he gonna shoot something, you know? whether he go photograph it or he shooting it. Right now, Chip shot a lot, so Chip Chip could shoot pretty dang good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I for that, you know, I mean he could shoot camera and he could also shoot a shotgun, you know. Right. So that's how that Chip is on that hunting, you know, and stuff. Now, Chip had a a childhood impairment which was his foot was messed up and he could barely walk. So he had a lot of surgery when he was coming up as a child. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that did not hinder him from doing the things that he wanted to do or loved to do, which was which was bird hunting and being out in the field. You know, and stuff, and Chip could not walk anybody. You know, whether <laughs> yeah. it was the hillside, whether it was down or down or across a field, whatever. You know, now Chip took pictures just because he loved to take pictures, not because it was his job, right? Because he had a full-time job at Wilson Art, right? Wilson Art done a layoff, and they gave them Chip and another fellow, and some of those guys, they gave them a layoff package, a severance. So Chip took his severance and got more into his photography because Chip studied photography in college. Right. And at the time I met Chip, him and Kelly, which was his fiance then, they lived in a uh, a uh, single story house out kind of at the edge of the country. Now Chip always loved labs. His first lab was night was Riley. Riley was a golden blonde, uh, uh, a golden retriever. Okay, okay, okay. My one of my Chip, most special dogs' name Chip, was Riley. Okay. Chip hunted grouse very well with Riley. You know, Riley. You know, I mean, for whereas Riley was a very birdie dog. Riley became, but then, but Chip used him for other things too. Because see, Chip was flying from from Florida on the coast, and Chip loved to duck hunt. Right. So Chip done a lot of duck hunting. You know, also, you know, me as far as, and then he, then when he got up here in the mountains, he 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 developed the love for for quail hunting and grouse hunting. Gotcha. He was doing that with a, with a, a a golden. And after that, yeah, right. And after that first hunt we had, Chip and I, we we automatically became friends. 
then him and I started setting up times to go hunting together. You know what I mean? As far as going out together. Now, during this time here, then within about maybe after a five-year friendship, six-year friendship is when he got the severance package from Wilson Hart. And that's when he got into uh, his photography full time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. He would call me. I'm like, what are you doing? I said, I'm training. He said, hey, can I come along? Sure. He said, oh, by the way, I'm bringing my camera. I said, okay. <laughs> and that was when I had my first bird dog. That's when I went out. With, that was during the time of the training of Clover. Not Clover. I had a federal named Clover. But this the corner I got, her name was Tesher. Her name was Tesher Aphrodite. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> That's, and, and and when I first got her as a puppy, my wife said, hey, name her Aphrodite. I'm thinking, okay, now, that don't look too good for a black man to be walking <laughs> through the woods calling Aphrodite. Okay? <laughs> Folk gonna think you crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my so God. But see, if I would register her, I had to have, you know what I mean, that, that Tesher Aphrodite. Right, right. So you, that's why I had right. Right. So, but I wasn't going to walk, me being an Afro American, I wasn't going to walk through the woods hollering Aphrodite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, no black women named Aphrodite. <laughs> so well, you ain't that. lost nobody. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, so, I, so I would call her Tesher. Yeah. Okay. Okay. One of the stubbornest corners you could ever have. Okay. She was she was stubborn. She was stubborn. <laughs> now what 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 about her made her? Um I said what what about Tessa made made her so stubborn? She's a foreigner. She's a female. <laughs> okay, yeah. That that is true. She got two things working against her. She got two yeah, she things working against her. She's a female. She's a porter. Hey, what can you say? You know. Oh my God! You are a clown. So, but see, at that time, my training methods were a little bit of everything, but mostly George Hickok. Okay. And okay. I trained with the board placements with the woe barrel, with the woe post, the whole nine yards, okay? Right. Uh, at that time, I did not have a remote barrel launcher, so what I used to do is I used to put the pigeon in a, uh, in some, uh, you know the uh, uh, chicken wire? Yeah, the tip-up traps. No. Chicken, you know what chicken wire yeah, is, Yeah, I right? know what chicken wire is. You just had a chicken wire well, trap? I, I made a tube. It was not, not a kick-up trap, it was a tube. And I would put the tube together and wire it together where it was round, put leaves in one end and put the pigeon in the middle of it and stick <laughs> leaves on the other end so you can get out. And that's how I would plant the birds. Really? I would lo- roll the birds from high area, right. And then when the dog would go on point, I would go in and pick up that uh that tube and let one end of the leaves out and sling the bird out for the flush. Oh, that's wow. Before, that's before kick-up cages and before I could get it and before... I could afford a remote bird launcher. So tell me about that. Like, how did how did that affect the dog in comparison to all of this new age technology? Because that's pretty dang innovative, man. And, and reaching down, none of that bothered the dog. No, because at the whole time, that was when I was a big follower of woe training. Okay. See, 
See, the whole time I was doing the flush, I would be telling the dog, whoa. Now, if that dog broke a little bit before I could flush, I would not flush. I would stop the dog and pick it up and set it back and make it stand still. Mm-hmm. And then flush the bird, and then the dog would associate. That's why he was telling me to stand still. Gotcha. So, I mean, so that, that was, was truly hands-on. Oh, wow. Uh, before they came out with tie chain, if the dog was not wool broke and wanted to move, I would do this in the wood area where I had plenty of sapling trees, and I would run the dog with a check cord, and when the dog would lock up on point to keep it from breaking to get the bird, I would tie the dog just like that, just like the stake out. Mm-hmm. I would just tie it to the nearest tree, and that would keep the dog standing still while I went into flush. Hmm. Okay. Now what? It, now okay. So what if that dog? What if it wasn't no trees around? And then what I but see, but I did that's it. I did not train in the area. Okay. That was right. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. I wanted the dog to have a positiveness. You know what I'm saying I wanted the dog help the dog to, to succeed. Right. So now when I didn't want the dog when I was at the beginning when I wanted the dog to 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 chase the birds. I planted the bird loosely so that if the dog broke point, the bird would fly. Gotcha. Okay. And and I'm and I mean you were training for grouse anyway, so you were naturally going to be in that right. area regardless. Okay. And we still talking right, about the nineties. Right. Okay. Right. Right. I was right. I was training for a grouse dog, not for a quail dog. Because mm-hmm. if a grouse dog, if you got a good grouse dog and stuff, quail is no problem. So But see in my you got a grouse dog and bird dogs, okay? Okay? Now, you got a grouse dog and you got quail dogs and you got bird dogs. Now, the reason I say that is if you want a good grouse dog, you have to hunt that dog on nothing but grouse. Yeah. If you want a good quail dog, you hunt that dog on nothing but quail. A bird dog will hunt both, especially if you don't have a lot of either. Mm-hmm. Just a well-rounded dog that can handle both but what you're saying is basically that that grouse dog knows how to find objectives that dog knows how to hunt them knows gonna be a little bit more careful than a quail dog right yeah if it had if it had if it had if that dog has had their teeth cut as they say if it had had their teeth cut on nothing but grouse then you got a grouse dog because that good grouse dog can handle any other kind of game bird you put you know that you uh take it to hunt Okay, so now I'm going to go down a little rabbit hole a little bit more for you. So, like, hunting grouse is tough. Now, mind you, we're talking about today. Back then, the numbers were a little bit better for you. With a young puppy, because you're running on these wild birds now, with a young puppy, how do you determine success on a grouse in the event that that bird, because a pup going to flush those birds? Are you hearing it? What Like, what is your measure of success, and how do you build on that? Okay. Especially for a North grouse, Carolina now. Right. Now, for, for that, back in the day when there was plenty of birds. Okay. Now, I hunted grouse enough to where I understood I understood grouse. Now, a grouse is going to make a noise when it get up, or it won't. When the grouse wants to confuse you and throw you off, it gives you that loud flush. Okay. When that grouse don't feel too threatened, it don't give you a loud flush. It lifts off very gently, and you don't even know it was there. Gotcha. So as, okay, as, that's, a, that's, as a defense mechanism. Right, right. That's rough grouse. Now, what I would do is, okay, 
back in those days, I would plant birds 25 yards because, say, what you wanted a grouse dog to do, you wanted a grouse dog to hunt 25, whether you was going down the logging road or in the woods. You trained that dog to hunt 25 yards to the left and 25 yards to the right. That's what we call quartering. Right. And you would plant birds. And if you wanted the dog to hunt that way, you would plant birds as either at 25, or however, whatever range you wanted that dog to hunt, that's where you planted the bird. You cast it to the left, and there will be a bird there at 25 yards. You cast it to the right, there will be a bird there at 25 yards. Then the dog learned that, okay, when I cast from left to right so many yards, I find a bird. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 boom. And then when you got on a logging road and there was plenty of grouse, you would cast the dog. And <clears throat> see, back in the day, on the area that I hunt for North Carolina grouse, there was birds 25 yards off the trail, 50 yards off the trail from the left to the right. Right. Okay. So when you went down that trail at that logging road, you know what I mean? Your dog would go in 25 yards, boom, lock up. All right, you go in and kill the bird. Uh, you swing around. You Then when you, when you come back to look now, if you was flying birds in there, you stayed in there. And that dog still hunted 25 to the, yards to the left and 25 yards to the right, quartering through the woods. Right. So the dog learned how to quarter in the woods. You taught it quartering with a check cord in the field by letting it run out 25 yards and then giving it the command to switch directions, which was uh, here. Here, you know what I mean? Uh, not here, but, but come, go with me. Back mm-hmm. then, I used hook. Hup was that turning. Hup. Every time the dog got 25 yards, I need to put the chain with the pinch, with the check cord and pinch call, I would tap it. Hup, and it would chain with me. So then the dog learned that every time I would say hup, it needs to change direction, whether it was verbal or on a whistle. One beep was you turn, beep, you turn, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Two beeps was you come all the way back into me. Like if it was out 50 yards and I need for it to come all the way in, I'll go tweet, 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 come. Tweet, 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 come. That means tweet, tweet, you come to me. One tweet, we'll change the direction from left. We are doing a directional change. Right. And that's how you, back then, that's how I taught my grouse dog. Mm-hmm. Because the area that I would cover, that's that's where the, the that was the, the the area that we need to cover. And then as the dog started to get more rangy because you wasn't finding birds, it still done that, but it done it at a wider range. Right. Okay. So and you then- want a grouse dog to hunt this hunt this area, check out the objective, but come back and check with you. You know what I mean to move on. Mm-hmm. And, and see Django what he is right now I can see him in the hunt and I can stand still he will come back to where he know he left me on the trail right and Django is your current now, dog right now Django is my young pup now now if I continue walking he'll look up and say oh well we're moving so I can so let me stay in front but if he loses sight of me he will come back to where he know he left me at on the trail or where he left me in the right, woods left you. right and so and, and see now we talk about that because I told you that first grouse hunt that we had for the uh, Project Upland film. You know, we I was telling you Vegas got lost because <laughs> he didn't he didn't know to do that. Right, you because know, see, like I said, see, this quail you dog. Have not, right, right. See, it, it, there's a different concept from grouse hunting and quail hunting. Mm-hmm. Grouse hunting, you are in the woods, right? Quail hunting, you are in the field. So that dog really has no problem with knowing where you are in that field. 
Right. We, I mean, if we you, run into Pineywood, but it ain't nothing like, right. n- nothing like what you're dealing with. Right. Right. So your dog has to have a have a consistent kind of know where you are. I remind Django even now. Pay attention where I'm at, dude. For some time when he gets to hunting, he will lose his direction to. Now he knows where I'm at, and generally, yeah. But sometimes he'll come out. You know what I mean? He'll he'll be so intense. He'll be like, okay, forget where I'm at, and he'll come out behind me and start in front of me. Right. But you kind of you know got to get him so, back on, on When he comes out and he looks at, then I'll give him the command. Front means hunt front. You know what I mean? Then he'll continue to get out in front of me. Right. But back to Tesha back in those days, him saying, uh, uh, I handled the dog with a whistle. Yeah. And she knew that if she was 50 yards and I went tweet, tweet, you need to swing back in. You're too far out. But I hunted her with a beeper. So when I heard that beeper going out of the area range, I would hit her with the two beeps. And then after that, if she did not comply, I would encourage her with stimulation to swing back in. Right. Now, let me let me ask you this. You like a beep or a bell better? What you like better? Okay. All right. I like a certain tone on a beeper. Mm-hmm. I don't like a hard tone. That's why I prefer a hog screen mm-hmm. and a Bob White quail. You, and you got that tone. on the sport dog collar that you got right now. I got that on the sport dog. Now, what I done with Django the other day when I hunted him down in South Carolina and he got out. Sometimes he got out a little bit too far and I couldn't hear him because of the bell. But see, to try to pin down the birds, I ran him the whole day with nothing but the uh, with cowbell with the beeper set to point mode only. Mm-hmm. Now, when I would hear his bell going out further than I wanted it to, uh, then I would nudge him to come back in. Yeah. And that worked, you know what I mean, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> But see, back in the day, Tisha was such an aggressive dog, I didn't run a bell on her. I ran her with a beeper. Okay. Because she didn't waste no time. <laughs> when she hit the ground, it was like a road time, dude. Amen. And if the bird was there, she knew. If it wasn't, she was going to find the bird, whether I was with her or not. Right. And and really, that's what you want. I, that sounds like a great dog to me. <laughs> <laughs> But see, to get the dog to that point, what I had to do is I had to spend them. Then when they came out with remote bird launcher, man, I was in hog heaven then, dude. Yeah. Yeah, and one of those little short pictures I sent you, you see me kneeling down on my knee, popping the bird launcher, and that was one of the pictures Chip was taking while I was doing some training. Yeah, yeah. All the pi- was all of I those pictures that you sent me was from Chip, right? Yeah, all those pictures okay. were from Chip. yeah. So uh, now, with the remote bird that, launcher, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Because at that time, Chip was working as a paid photographer, and he would ask me, "Say, hey, I need pictures for my mag for the magazines I'm sending them to." I said, "Cool." You know what I mean? So uh, he would want uh, puppy pictures. Mm-hmm. So he would want all kinds of levels of the different training for his pictures, and right. he would choose which one. And then when the subscriber said, "Hey," Uh, I'm doing a a uh, handling a dog ad, and I need a, a puppy, or I need this. And then Chip, knowing I had puppies and doing some training, he's like, "Hey, you training today?" And, that, and then him and I would hook up, and then we would, he would get his, then he would get what he needed. I would get my training done, and he would get what he needed for his pictures. Right. Okay. So now, 
had y'all had y'all ever hunted dogs together? Uh, yes. Now, my partner didn't pay no dog dog no attention, <laughs> and usually, and usually she was out hunting. She was catching them out wide, and his dog was catching them in close. Okay. Me and uh, me and my I asked because me and my buddy uh, Chain hunted <laughs> quail like that last year. Where his his short right. hair took the reins and was further out, and 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 my lab took everything inside. I wouldn't do it again, it like that, but right. it did work. Right now, you can do that if you got a well trained lab to to that you can control. Cause see, what you want is what you don't want is when your pointer goes on point, mm-hmm. you don't want lab doing his flushing thing. Right. And see, you, see what I'm saying? Right. Until yeah. you get, you know what I'm saying? Well, until you get, you mean until you get situated, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? To forward, because as soon as that lab go in the foot, that's going to piss that funny dog off. <laughs> like, well, shoot, hey, he moving, I can move. Right. And now Unless you got the dog really, really woke, you know what I mean? To where it's going to stand still, you know what I mean? As far as to that flush, whether you flush or whether, whether the uh, <laughs> the dog flush. Right. Right. Now. Uh, you know, going back to the the bird launcher thing, and we we uh, I hadn't even gotten to your early stuff, but we on on the subject of training and all of that stuff. What uh, do you notice a difference? Like, do you do do you notice a difference between the dogs that you trained and had without a bird launcher versus when you got a bird launcher? Like, what? Because you know me, man. I'm I'm I ask because. I'm about 50-50 on the launcher where, like the other situation, that video I sent you, um, we were looking at it, it was necessary to use it, you know, and and to get a quicker flush on and so forth. But I always fear my dog becoming way more robotic. And so I I don't shy away from the launcher, but I, I, I use it way less than you do, but way more spare, way more sparingly. Okay. Okay, now, I I started using the bird launcher to do a, an aggressive flush. Mm-hmm. In other words, okay, I would set that bird. See, a bird dog going to do one of two things. Now, it depends on where the scent cone is. See, a dog smells two things. A dog smells foot scent and it smells body scent. Mm-hmm. Foot scent is when that bird hits the ground and it's running around. Body scent is when that bird has stopped and then set down. Now, it depends on where the sick cone is. Yeah. Whether the dog pointed at 25 yards or whether the dog pointed at 10 yards. Now, I don't care when the dog pointed long you stop when you hit scent. Now, if you hit scent, and I know for a fact you done hit scent and you continue to move, I'm going to make that bird fly because that's what a grouse would do. So right. that's why I like bird launches because I could push the button right then and there. Mm-hmm. To, to simulate that grouse getting out of Dodge because guess what? That dog did not stop the forward movement. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I mean. So that's why I got into using the bird launchers, is, I'm saying, is to, so that when the dog smells the bird, you know, you stop, we could, we're going. Right. But soon you smell bird and you didn't, and you on the creep. Soon you took that little creepy step. I would pop the bird because that's what a wild bird would do, and that's what a wild grouse would do. Right. Now, See, once the dog wants a grouse, it needs to stand completely still. Period. End of story. Because if you move, that grouse is gonna get out of dodge. Mm-hmm. 
And see, I guess, I guess that's where we are. I guess that's where we're different because the more I run this pointer on well, okay, is I want him to stop and stand, and he does. It's just fine. But Quail will run on your butt. They will. I mean, they will. They're. I was. I was reading. Um, Dang, for a handful of feathers the other day, and 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 uh, Guy Delabadan ended up making a good point that probably about forty percent of the birds in a covey of quail are actually the ones that get up. The other ones are still on the ground and probably running somewhere. So what I right. what I end up noticing as Vegas, as Vegas got into more and more wild birds, he would creep until he was was locked on. Because those right. birds were, you know, they were they were shuffling, they were running, and so right. with the bird launcher, I had to. That's why I I say I use it a lot more sparingly because he has to adjust to it, right. and, and I right. yeah, I want him to learn how to adjust and and relocate naturally. But right. again, a grouse is going right. to be gone. There ain't no running in that situation. This is just my thinking in, in my little small world, and a lot of people got their opinions, and that's fine and dandy. Now, I would much rather for a dog to lock up on point, and if that bird done walked, stay on point until I walk in to make sure that bird ain't there. Now, when I walk in so many feet and that dog, the bird don't fly along that dog holding point, I'm going to come back and release that dog or say, right. go ahead. Right. Now, if I, if I tell that dog to go ahead, and while that dog is going ahead, that bird gets up out a little bit further than me, that's not the dog's fault. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. So, but, but like I said, I would much rather for the dog to lock up and let me go ahead and investigate. Mm-hmm. And if nothing flies, I'm going to release him. And most of the time, a good dog, when you release him, if that bird says pattern up, that dog will relocate and point again. Right. And and, and, and I, we're we're in the same boat on that now. Uh, we we are. <laughs> I just I just notice when he's on wild quail, it takes him, and he and it's probably because of you too, Terry. It, it's probably right. you where it takes him a second to be like, all right, you know, kind of weigh it out, and then when I see him lock. That's when I start going in because he'll he'll go and he'll kind of slow down to a slow boom. There we go. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, like you, if I go into flush and nothing come up, then you, I tap him on the head and, and let him relocate. Right. Yeah. Now, see, we ain't got no problem long as long as the dog don't make the bird fly. Right. You can relocate and point it all day long if you want to. And even if I see the friggin' bird running, yeah. as long as my dog don't run in there to make that bird fly, he can work that bird all he wants until he figures out what Doki Doki is. Right. Just saying, right. now, Django will sit down and watch a, a quail walk and do the Watusi out in front of it. <laughs> yeah. But, now, but when that bird crushes, it's a different story. See what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I mean? Four ass, seven, you know, and he'll, and I have. On, on some pen raised birds that they could fly good, but they just decided to run and walk. Right. I have walked in front of him a good little way while the bird running, running, and he'll stay still until I'll say, "All right, go ahead," or he hears the bird flush. Right. 
Then, you know, so, but like I said, see, as far as the bird launcher goes, okay, it's just like that toolbox that you have your tools in. That's a tool you got in there and you use it when you need it. Right. Sometimes you need it, sometimes you don't. Now, a bird launcher is a good thing for introducing dogs to do things you wanted to do. Like when you when you start wanting the dog to stand steady to flush, a bird launcher is good for that because you can stop it, pop the bird, stop it, pop the bird. You know what I'm saying? So there are good uses for the bird launcher, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. as far as to, you know, before you need to get done, okay? One thing I won't do is if the dog gets too close to a bird launcher and I got quail in it, I won't pop that bird launcher in training because the dog is too close. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The dog locks up on point, and I know the dog and the bird launcher is what? So five, ten inches in front of the dog? Even okay. though I got that bird launcher's head, I still won't pop that launcher. I'll, I'll stroke that dog up and pick it up and re- and move it away and then replace that with at another place to get a better distance point right. on that launcher. And so the dog learns, yep, to, to now, not creep if up. It's a quail, if it's a quail that's not in the bird launcher and that's just how close the dog got to it because as soon as he hits it, he's locked up then I'll kick the bird up. But if it's a bird launcher, I won't pop that bird launcher if the dog is that close to it. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you, you kind of gauging, you're gauging the right. reaction but based I, on the, yeah. Right. But see, the perfect scenario for a bird launcher is for the dog to lock up at, at 15 to 25 yards. That's the perfect scenario for a bird launcher. Because the dog don't see the launcher, it don't necessarily hear the launcher too good when it pops off when you pop it. If I make sense when I say that. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 an ideal situation for again somebody that's in the grouse woods and things like that. Um, you know, now I I want to go back and talk about how you even got you even decided to hunt grouse. Because in North Carolina, like that's a that's an unheard of thing, you right. know. Especially down here in Georgia, I didn't even know what a grouse was until you know a few years ago. Well, see, this is how I got into grouse hunting. Okay, I had a buddy of mine that was a grouse hunter. Well, see, back in the day, I used to hunt rabbits a lot. I had rabbit dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be- yeah eagles are running walkers. We hunt rabbit. We don't hunt quail. We don't hunt grouse, man. We ain't got bird dog. We got hound dog. We got coon dog, and we got rabbit dogs. Yeah. We ain't got no bird dog to sell these corners, man. Well, a buddy of mine was a big grouse hunter. He had Britney. So one day he said, hey, i never been rabbit hunting. Take me rabbit hunt. I said, well, hey, what's that thing you do? He said, grouse. I said, what's a grouse? He said, you know what a quail? I said, yeah. He said, well, it's not quail hunt, but it's kind of saline, but it's grouse. Grouse lives in the mountain, in the Appalachian Mountain. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. Now, and I got the study, after I got the study into it, I found out that the old timers used to call them wood chickens. That's oh, what the old timers used to call Old black folk. Yeah, wood hens, wood chickens. Really? You know, even Caucasian folks used to call them wood chickens, wood hens. Huh. Okay, so I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take you rabbit hunting, you take me this grouse hunting. I took him rabbit hunting, he liked it, and then he said, okay, it's time for you to go with me grouse hunting. He said, now there's a lot of walking. So we went over to a place called Fines Creek over toward Haywood County, game land. Right. Uh, you parked your truck and you walked in on the logging roads and you let your dog run from left to right, you know what I mean, into the woods. 
Now he was, he had long ranging Britneys. Them Britneys will be hunting anywhere from 100 to 150 to 200 yards, man. <laughs> Slamming birds, <laughs> pointing birds, locked up. Now when that dog go on point, whether it's on the hillside or wherever it is, you got to go in there and make the bird fly and shoot at it. I was like, okay. Man, them dogs got on side of them mountains and like to wolf my behind out. Really? Because back then there was plenty of birds, and them dogs were finding birds anywhere from an hour to, you know what I mean, you know I mean? about two or three birds an hour, man, like boom, boom, boom. You know what yeah, I mean? I'm like, hey, this is all right. I'm shooting and missing and ain't killing nothing, you know, because I ain't used to shoot no grouse. Right. Like it, and went with him a few times, and then I started doing some researching on grouse. Then I started doing some researching on hunting dogs. Now, this fellow did not believe in training his dog or handling his dog. He just put him out there and let him rip and run to find the bird, find whatever. <clears throat> but he never did believe in uh, woe breaking the dog because he would tell them dogs woe and the dog would not woe. And I said, do the dog know what woe is? Well, yeah. I said, well, apparently he don't because he ain't stopping. <laughs> right. But he never did get into training as far as training. He let the birds train the dog. You know what I mean? And when you had plenty of birds, that was fine. But them dog man was pointing birds left and right. You know what I mean? But they was hunting 150 to 200 yards. You know what I mean? Right. So I got to thinking, okay, let me look into this grouse thing. I got to researching the grouse on how to do it with the dog and without the dog. And then I liked the concept of, a, of, of training a bird dog. <clears throat> but hey, I didn't know about training no bird dogs. So then I started getting books and you know. Now you had videos, but it was eight track videos back then. It wasn't no, there wasn't no CDs back then, man. Mm-hmm. Hey, wasn't no YouTube. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, wasn't no YouTube. You know. Yeah. Go to the library. Got... Go to Blockbuster. <laughs> exactly. Bird dog Evans had a few books out where you could check out at the library. You know, bird dog training. Everybody, but it, that concept, everybody was at the concept of the wolf concept, the wolf training, <clears throat> you know, which is, you know, stand still, you know what I mean? I would watch videos of the dog, guys hollering, whoa, 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 to the dog 24 7. Man, that is, that is mean? not but, ideal. Uh, right, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So that's how I got started as far as, you know what I mean, grass hunting, and then got the liking it, and then started doing research, and then got a now, I've had some bad dogs in my day because I didn't know how to train them, you know, because sometimes they, they, they weren't, they was okay bird dogs, but uh, they didn't have the genetics. And then as I started looking into the genetics, now when I found Tesha, then I got to knowing what a bird dog, a grouse dog is supposed to be like. Yeah. Now, where'd you get <clears> Tesha from? Uh, I bought Tesha from a guy that lived, uh, what it was is, I, I, he had an ad in the paper, in the I Wanna. A guided grouse hunt, and I've done a grouse hunt with him with some of his dogs, and he said, "You know what? Since it's your first time, I'm gonna take you out for half a day, not charge you one thing. And okay. if you like it, come back and do something with me." Well, I took him out, man. His and he had English pointer, man. That dog, man. I say within thirty, within a half, within from nine o'clock to twelve o'clock, we flew fifteen grouse with that pointer. Good lord, man. Corner was going from left to right over the hillside, boom, lock up, boom, lock up, boom, lock up. And I said, man, he said, guess what? I just happened to have some puppies. You want one? That's how I got into English corners. He just gave you a puppy? I liked No, I bought a puppy from him. Okay. Okay. Dang, that's what's up. So, 
And you you never looked any other way other than setters. I mean, yeah. Now now what? Talk about the setter that you had too, because you you went for pointer, then you got a setter. You did it right, first of all. <laughs> you you, you yeah, did it right. Well, I had a, I had a setter from the beginning. Okay, but I didn't have now. There are some awesome grouse setters, really. There are some awesome setters. Mm-hmm. The thing about a setter, once they get it, they got it, but they they take a little bit longer. Yeah. Now, if you are in wild birds, it helps the whole situation. See what I'm saying? As far as that part of it goes. But, but like I said, I like the aggressiveness of a pointer because see, this is the way I feel about it with grouse. The quicker the dog is, it makes that bird set tighter. Yeah. Being able you to navigate through the woods. Yeah. Bolly gagging around with grouse. You want that dog zip, 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 boom. Okay, here he is, boss man. And that bird set there tight. Because, see, the predator of a grouse is four-legged animals and two-legged animals. Two-legged animals is being hawks and owls and all that kind of stuff. Four-legged animals being dogs, foxes, coon, you know what I mean, whatever. Right. See, that grouse fears that dog worse than it fears you. That grouse won't flush back toward that dog. That grouse will flush toward you and take your hat off and take your gun out of your hand if you let it. See, it don't fear you. Yeah. Now it'll flush when you come in, but it don't fear you like it do that four legged animal. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why you know I. Um, it's interesting you say that, man. Like they don't get that same type of human pressure, right? That say quail do. You know what I'm saying? Like they they just don't. They're 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 in a way different kind of section of the woods and, and things like that. So it's interesting as you say they don't really they're not really thinking about that. They they looking for like you say some with four legs and some with two legs that's up in the air. Okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. So when you get in that when a dog gets in there real quick, it made that break well maybe he didn't see me, maybe he didn't see me. Let me sit here. Right. And then when you come in, oh, I'm out of here. And and, and you just making it work you know, work around. And that, that's interesting, man. Now it's going to be interesting when we go out there because, and I knew it would happen, but I'm waiting to see if Vegas is going to lock up on grouse scent. Cause again, he quailed out like the, the functions are different and he ain't never had no scent up under his nose. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm waiting on that pivotal moment to see whether or not that's going to happen. I get, and it may just take for him to knock, knock a grouse or two, but he got to see it first. Right. You know, I, um, and that's why you say, you know, the, the difference between quail and grouse dog, like when, when you're up in North Carolina, like I said, isn't that the, I think that's also the, lowest place in the the appellation that you're gonna get grouse cover like at the like you know the aspens and stuff like that because ain't no aspens here in georgia from what i understand so you know you're kind of already allowing that dog to run around in that type of cover anyway so really back then it doesn't seem like you was doing a whole a whole lot of manual breaking a dog like if y'all had that many numbers yeah. Okay. Okay. That it, it, 
you back then, you let if you had enough wild bird, you let the dog chase it. Cause see, it ain't gonna catch no grouse. No. <laughs> that, that, no matter what, it's gonna catch no grouse. So what you done is before the hunting season came in. Right, when you could go in on game land, because they got a certain time on here in North Carolina when you can have your bird dog in on game land mm-hmm. doing some training. You took it and you hope that you got on bird. Now, if you got on bird, you took a blank pistol. Right. If that dog held the point, you walked in the flood. If that dog ran the bird up, you let it go. You travel on there, and after you found out three or four grouse, that dog's got to figure out, I can't catch this sucker, so let me settle down and start pointing. The right. same thing you've done in the woods. If you went on a grouse hunt with your shotgun and that dog locked up and it didn't hold point for you, it ran the bird up, you didn't kill that bird. You watched and see where that bird went and you went that away to get that dog another opportunity to point that bird. Yeah. So now, and you know what it sounds like though? Because you had hounds. Um, it sounds a lot like hound hunting. Like you kind of got to let that young pup find and tree its own coon in order for it right. to get it, you know, hit a track and, and kind of get. So what, what as a grouse hunter could you take away from coon hunting that would have helped you out or uh, not coon hunt, rabbit nothing. hunting? Uh, nothing. nothing. That's an entirely different, different concept. Okay. So you got different thing you do. Like when you're training a young rabbit dog, you kill a rabbit and you drag the center on the ground and you let the little rabbit dog, a little puppy, grab it and pull it and rip his head off. Yeah. You're building that drive, that fray drive. Right. Uh, you catch a rabbit, a baby rabbit, you mm. put it in a fence where the dog can't run off, the rabbit can't run off, you throw it in there with your bigger puppy and let him chase it down. And whichever one grab it and they pull their head off, pull it into, no big deal. You're right. building pay drive. Right. Saying? And then you would take that little young rabbit dog out during the spring when there was young rabbits running around and let it run this little heart out. You know what I'm saying? So, same way with a bird dog. So, you got to be, that drive is there. All you're doing is building it. You're sharpening it. You're honing it in. Yeah. And, and, and just But see, it. a bird dog, a corner has to realize it's not the one who makes the bird fly. It's just the one that finds the birds. Corner, Right, your bird dog has to have a partnership with you, because then it becomes a fifty-fifty thing. You do this for me, I do this for you. You ain't gonna get it in your mouth until I shoot it. But if you don't stand still, we ain't gonna do no good with each other because the bird gonna fly, and I'm not gonna get to shoot it for you. Right. So eventually, it becomes a partnership. And you get in there now. You know to. I'm 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 bouncing back and forth. You got a part me because you got me all excited now. Talk talk about. I want to know what if 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 there's anything that that you can offer about the the old timers, man. Like because you hear about like black folks that quail hunted. You know what I'm saying? Like that was that's the thing down here in the south. Like you know that that is a narrative that is more prevalent. It, neither of them are really that prevalent up until now. But when you think about black folks and bird dogs, you'll hear about a, a, a quail man before you hear about a grouse man. So what, we were doing that back then? Right. Huh. Like, you know, had you heard anything from there? No, now... 
there is no Afro-American quail hunters up this way. Right. Most of those are down towards your way, towards Georgia and South Carolina, Georgia, in mm-hmm. that way where the plantations are. Right. And most of your black folks up here in North Carolina, we done nothing but rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting. Okay, so it wasn't, it wasn't like grouse. Black folk just didn't hunt grouse at all, period. No. No, at all, period. They didn't hunt quail at all. They hunt rabbits. Right. And then now, if while they was, but see, back in the day up here, the rabbits was in your apple orchards and in your fields. But now up here, even that's done changed because now them apple orchards has housing complexes in them. Mm-hmm. So you Where can't. the apple owners sold the land off to developers and they've been developing into communities now. Some of the areas that I hunted with my dad and when I was a kid coming up rabbit hunting that produced rabbits. Rabbits love apples. Right. That's why we hunted in the apple orchards. <clears throat> but see, most of your apple orchard now has been been consumed by neighborhoods. You know what I mean? So there's not that many places to actually rabbit hunt here anymore because most of your na- most of those areas has been is right now is a community. Right. Of houses. <clears throat> you know, so you know, so but as far as <clears throat> the Appalachian, see, where I live is the very end of the of the grouse range, if I make sense when I say that. Yeah. It's you right on the edge. Right on the edge. Right. Now how how is that how has that changed over the years? Like did you did you see kind of up down years and then it was all kind of downhill? Uh, I've seen up cycles and I've seen uh, up cycles and I've seen down cycles. Okay. 15 to 20 years ago, uh, I could go out back when I had my uh, uh, my Kesha dog corner. Mm-hmm. I could go out uh, back in them day when, <laughs> when the cycle was up or even when the cycle was down and fly 10 to 15 birds each time I go out. Yeah. And Some places I could go to where I can move in a day, I can move 18, I can have 18 flushes. Uh, you know, grouse. Now that would take me about a good, uh, a about a good six, seven hour hunt. You know, but that's but still that's good, the man. Type of birds that I would move here. Wow, wow. Okay. In a lot of areas that I hunt in, it the grouse got changed a lot and pushed out a lot because they started bringing in the bicycle riders, the mountain bikers, and they started cutting trails back into the grouse habitat. Mm-hmm. Instead, of, <clears throat> instead of helping the grouse habitat, they started cutting the grouse habitat away by putting in uh, biking trails. Right. That's so that grouse is a very private bird. It don't like a whole lot of activity going on in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to they gonna get on up out of there. Exactly. Okay. So most of the areas where I just buy 18 birds and flushes and stuff, it got really no, there's no birds in there at all now because most of that area now is covered by bicycle riders, mountain bikers. And they came in and done clear cutting and cutting trails off to make more trails for the bikers. And that kind of pisses me off because they don't have to pay no kind of usage fee whatsoever. They just, they just ride up through there. They can be in there all year round. I can't be on. I cannot be on no kind of game lands to after August the fifteenth. And if I'm there hunting, I got to have a license, or I would get cited cited by a wildlife enforcement officer. 
the money that the state can make by charging them a usage fee, but they don't charge them one red cent. <laughs> That's why I'm not too happy about North Carolina. Right. Well, you know, you can come down here to Georgia. <laughs> you can come on down here now. I know. Seems like, but like I said, see, that's that's what we're up against here. You know what I mean? As far as a lot of the game lands within the area that we you knew me that I hunt. Now, <clears throat> there's a <clears throat> other areas, you know what I mean, that that uh, has birds. But I've been quite a few places, even not only here, but even <clears throat> hour and a half, two hours, three hours away from where I live. Mm-hmm. You know, over the years, and then and, and and have seen the bird population go down. Now, the area you were talking about us going to on Monday, I've never been up there hunting, so I don't know. You know what I mean? Right. I have no idea. You know what I mean? How you know what I mean? For as you know how that area is, because I've never hunted that area. Okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. I mean, and, and look. Once I get up, <laughs> you know, because you know the area better than I do. We change the plans now. I am, you know, I'd be ready to rock and roll however you want to do that, it. That area, I have no idea about it. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I've never hunted. Yeah. So, uh, out of the three places, what we can do is we can go in, and this is how I hunt. Now, when dogs get on the ground, I say, okay, well, because uh, it's probably like a logging road and logging roads, and you go through the gates and stuff, and you check the area from left to right. Now, I probably you probably hear me say this. Okay, let's walk down this road. Let's go in here for two hours. Mm-hmm. After two hours, if we have not made no bird contact, we let's get out of here and go and try another spot. But you right. see what I'm saying? Now, if we get in that first spot, and we're flying birds, and we want to chase birds, will we stay in there longer? Hey, great. See what I'm saying? So... What I do now is I hunt an area for two hours. If I ain't flying no birds in two hours, I'm not going to spend another three hours in there looking. Right. If you ain't found nobody in, they're just not there. Guess when I can go to another spot right? and check it out. And then kind of move on. And then that way we cover ground. I mean, I look, I'm like that with, um, with quail, man. Like, I'll look for certain, you know, certain traits and training. I'm sure everybody that hunts certain game birds does it. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, but if I don't see it, the kind, I found this weird kind of combination is a couple of things. If I don't see burnt firewood, like down foot wood that's burned, every time right. that I've been in certain spot, they hide up under there in in in, right. in that little area. If I don't see um, like maybe I'm six feet tall, about shoulder high brush that's kind of thick, kind of nasty with it, and, and a few young pines kind of you know in that. I'll look for that. Vegas has started to learn to, to look for those objectives too. If we're right. not getting into that stuff, man, I, you know, and and seldom. You know, you'll kind of find them just up under your feet. I mean, you just walk in the right place, they'll just freeze up on you. But I'm about like you, man. Like, we, mm-mm. and when I hope, you know, we can get you in a hunt down here. It, it, I would hope so, maybe this season. But if not, then, you know, we, we got plenty of time. But I'll show you the spots that I mean. And I mean, it is distinctly obvious. Right. You know, um, the thing about, you know, when you get to looking at it, okay, well, you want to build that drive of the dog. 
I'm saying, and as much as you possibly can. But like I said, see, a good bird dog, if you let them chase enough birds, they're going to stop and start pointing and holding point. Then that's when you start taking the chase out. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. me personally, I keep a young dog a whole year on the ground before I go in and start, as they say, breaking them breaking to stand them. completely. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, I don't break my dog by a verbal woe. Because I train like Mo Lindsay does. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. train with the e cutter the check cord, the pinch collar, and the e-collar. Yeah. And I transition that onto the e-collar as far as the handling of the dog and getting the dog to stop and stand still. Yep. Yep. Now, you and Mo are also, you know, very good friends. You got Django from him. So, talk about that relationship, man. Like, how did y'all meet? And, and, And give me that whole rundown. I actually got online Facebook. See, I'm, I'm old, dude. I didn't know nothing about this, all this fancy Facebook stuff, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a flip phone. And then when I got to getting on social media and got to seeing uh, Study With Style, mm-hmm. Mo, Mo and a bunch of other folks got that got that program started. Yeah. And it was set up so that you could get on there and talk to other people about bird dog training and that kind of stuff. Then it got blown out of hand because you got a bunch of smart ass, excuse my language, that get, that would get on there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> then, it got, then it became something that it was not really started out to be. Right. And, know, I, and I'm on there post- now. Now, Mo regulates it like pretty strict now. <laughs> right, so right. So you were on right. that early right. end, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you ever seen any of my earlier videos. You know what I mean? Because I used to put a video on there every week. Yeah. See, you got, you know, I came in way time. later. Right. You know, so, and then I started getting smart comments, and then I just, then I started posting. Yeah. Nobody seemed to care. You know what I mean? Because uh, I've done one thing in that. Is there any more grasslands out there anymore? You know what I mean? That was, a, and I posted that on, on, on that forum and stuff. You know what I mean? So, and then I stopped. Then I stop sending in videos, you know, stuff. And every now and then, Facebook will come up and go, hey, a memory from that, that video I sent you. That was a, a video I done four years ago. Man, that dog looked good. Yeah. yeah. That dog looked good. <laughs> that video that you sent. So, <laughs> you know, so you got, you ended up, you, you met Mo through Steady With Style. Now. Right. Because he spoke so highly of you, you know, when I when I was out there uh, a couple weeks ago. So now y'all have worked dogs together, and 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 you got a dog from him. Django is one of his dogs. So you yeah, know, we worked dogs. I went down there because I kept telling him, "Mo, I want a point. I want I want one of your dogs. I want one of your dogs." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He said, "Well, come on down." And so then, but every time I would go down there, he put me work. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so now I, I would pick his brains and ask him questions, you know, so and then so now Mo does a seminar every year, you know what I mean, with Martha Greenlee. Yeah. You know, down in Virginia. I think it's in Virginia. I, I forget what it is, but they do a they do a seminar in April every year. Mm-hmm. Of the beginning thing. And more and in that seminar, most they do they do the very basic the whole thing. They for, for that weekend. They teach you how to handle it with the check cord and the pinch call and move it to the e call and buttons, the whole you know, the whole series. Now I got Mo's book. So the same they here. Do that now. Huh? 
I said, same here. I use Mo's book in conjunction right. with some of my other stuff. Yep. Right, right. See what I'm saying? And I like that. I didn't want to go through the wood telling the dog to woe, nor did I want to milk the dog into a point. Right. Now, you know what I say when I milk the dog, milk the dog into a point, roll the dog into a point? What, 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 do you, what do you mean by that? When I see my bird dog making game, that was smelling a bird, you got a thousand guys that would tell that dog, whoa. Yeah, you shouldn't have to do that. I'm not going to tell that dog, whoa. I want that dog to be out on its own. It needs to stop. That's what it's supposed to do. Right, I'm not going to woke him into a point. That's yeah. why I'm going to try to put enough birds on the ground and train it so that the dog can figure out where if I move, the bird's going to fly. Mm-hmm. I, See, so when I, I, when I'm a big uh, put birds in front of you, not to kill, put birds in front of your dog, let the dog and the bird have that relationship towards between the bird and the dog. Just in case y'all needed to know what I'm reading, because I get a lot of questions about that, and that's definitely a new part of the gundognotebook.com. Check out Between the Feathers. I just put down for a handful of feathers by God De La Valden. I just picked up My Health is Better in November by Havila Babcock. So check out those books if you need a little bit of extra read. I, I will tell you, man, that, that Lindley training method, that has helped me tremendously. Like, so I, I got right. Mo's book. And it, so the way I do it, I I uh take, because I'm a big fan of the pinch collar. I actually bought another one so I can put it on my, my next pointer. Uh, each of my pointers are all going to have their own pinch collars. Um, that's right. just how much I like that thing. The check cord. Um, and, and it really don't take much else to get a dog broke, man. I mean, it really does. If you get down to the bare bones of it, you know, I, now I, I, I put it, I paired it with Delmar Smith's book. Cause I like that stuff right. too. Right. You know, and then, uh, the barrel training comes from Bud Moore. So I kind of got a mix of them all. You know what I'm saying? But it, it, it it's just what works for me. But I'm, you know, locationally the closest to Mo and have had a chance to see him, um, you know, kind of <laughs> analyze and work Vegas and see him work other dogs too. It, it All that talking right. in the woods and stuff, man, that is out the window. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You, you know, um, that is... Yeah, and how- Dog in the woods and blowing the whistle constantly. The, you know that 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 that's 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 the thing. That's that that that's not a good day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, now when you are, oh shoot, um, when you are, you know, in the woods and and stuff like that, what are you? If you if you're not talking to the dog. Using Mo's methods and, and stuff like that, when you do have to say something to the dog, like when do you think is the most appropriate time to tell a dog, whoa, verbally? Because I do it every, every blue moon, I'll say it'll come out of my mouth. But when is it? I never give my dog a verbal whoa. At all. Zero. I never give my dog a at zero. Okay. Uh, 
if if my dog is getting game and it, and it points and it eases up and points again, I say, Daisy or Django, easy. Now, that's your warning. I done told you easy. Now, if you move and you make that bird fly, then I'm going to make a correction on you because I just told you easy. Right. Meaning you take it easy. I'm not going to say whoa. I just told you, take it easy. You made the bird fly. Now I'm going to grab you up. See what I'm saying? You know what I mean? But see, but see, Daisy have not been taught to stop yet. So I, so I'll let her bump it. Mm-hmm. Then maybe the next time she'll hold it. But Django, if he makes that bird fly, I'm gonna knock his pecker in the dirt. <laughs> not with a verbal bump, but with the tap, because he knows the tap means for him to stop. Right. That's what tapping with the e collar. Yep. Because if I tell you easy, that means okay. You better not make that bird. Just like just like when you're little, you got a little boy or a little girl. Little girl. When you get your little girl, you know, when she gets big, you're going to find this out. <clears throat> She's going to be doing something. You're going to say, honey, you do that again, I'm going to pop you. <laughs> you do it again. You say, now, didn't I tell you? Then you pop and then she know, oh, well, yeah. See what I'm saying? Same difference. Right. Yeah. I told you easy, but you kept on and you done that. So now this is a consequence of you not taking it easy like I asked you to. Right, and and they, I see, mean, and they have so, to learn that, yeah. Right. See now, like I said, see Daisy, I won't give her no commands at all because this is her first year on the ground. I'm not asking her to stop for yet. I'm right. wanting the birds to teach her to stop. Right. And do all see, that. Saying as for as to, you know what I mean. Now Django, he knows to stop. Now if he busts the bird deliberately, okay, and then I'm tapping him fine. If he don't stop. I run and yank him up by his nutsack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he's back where I told him to stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you say that though, man. Like people I've heard the argument that folks saying that it the dog doesn't learn anything when you pick him up and relocate him back to where he first was. I don't believe that, man. I firmly believe in in picking that dog back up. And and putting him back where he he broke from, and like you say, you know, pick him up by his nuts, pick him up by and I and I grab him by the front and the back on his chest and on and, and behind by his nuts and set him down and kind of drop him, you know, it, it, you know, not slam him down, of course, but drop him with enough force to say you were supposed to be here, you know, it's like this, okay. People also hung up on that word woke. <clears throat> stay is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Whoa, you want the dog to stay still and not move. Stay, you want the dog to stay still and not move. So what's the difference? Yeah, same thing. If you teach your dog, say all of a sudden, okay, it, it locks up on point, and you say stay in training because you're con- you introducing the dog with this and you condition the dog with this, okay? Now, say that dog locks up on point, and, and before you can get there to flourish, that dog moves, and you say stay. That's the same thing because you want the dog to stay put. Mm-hmm. Roll means stop. Stay means stay put. Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, also, uh, the silent stuff, man, like that video that we were, that I sent you, the last video where I'm, I'm, cause I'm slowly <clears throat> starting to work, break him, 
you know what I'm saying, to stopping after the flush. His first year's almost up. You know, he'll be right. one in he'll be one uh January first. So we we at the tail end. It's and he's ready. Vegas is showing me that he is ready for that type of pressure too. I, I think that needs to be said. Um you know, I my like my clock is right on the money, but that five finger, you know, in that video, he kind of lunged forward a little bit. But he, he didn't go after the bird, but you can see he's kind of revved up. Right. I, you, I put my hand up, and that's going back to that Lindley method and that Bud Moore method where it's body language, man. That Like, that's really what Mo is, is, is articulating is a dog will comprehend, you know, however you do it. You, you, you know, you put your five fingers up, one finger, whatever you do. But when something when you hollering woe more than once and he don't do it. He don't know what woe is anyway. He don't he don't he either don't know it or he just disregarding anything that you got to say regardless. Right. You know, that and that's the thing, like I I just and some trainers sub- subscribe to whoa, 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 goddammit, whoa. Like and, right. and you that's didn't hear, you didn't hear a woke woke come out of my mouth on my on 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 none of my dogs as far as that goes. You know, like I said, Django Birdie and stuff, and he and I'm thinking that he might make that bird fly. I'll say Django easy. Right. I won't say Django take it easy. I won't say I say Django easy. Right. Letting him know you make that bird fly, I'm gonna get in your butt. <laughs> and that's the way to do it. You know what I mean? As far as, you know, so now David don't know no better yet. You know now, once I get her first year down, right? Yeah. Then I go in and start to making her stand still, then she'll know, okay, well, boss man asked me to stand still. So that's why I start introducing that by walking her beside me and stopping her with the check cord and the pitch call. You know what I'm saying? Letting her stand still mm-hmm. right there beside me. And then I'll step behind her. If she moves, I'll still I'll snug her up again. See what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then once I know that she can stand there for me and I can drop that check cord and walk in front of her. Now if she moves while I when I do that, then I'll then I'll pick her up and I'll set her back. And I'll plant her back where I ask her to stand still at from the beginning. Not right. saying whoa, not saying nothing. Just letting her know where you move. So now I'm gonna set you back. Right. <laughs> to where you started. You move from the point where I that's forward movement. I've asked you not to continue forward movement at all. The forward movement is going to make a bird fly. And so you don't you don't need to be doing it at at all. So zero zero tolerance for it. Right. Yeah. That forward movement is going. That bird going to fly. Mm-hmm. If you continue moving forward, that bird going to fly. Yeah. So that's why I try to let the dog let it be be between the dog. And send the birds, not between me standing back there hollering, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Well, I I, now, I think so many people try to get in the middle of that interaction when that dog is on point and staring or got a nose full of scent. <laughs> that the the game is no longer in your hands. Right. You cannot. It's almost like a magnet. You know what I'm saying? Like the moment that you put something in between. You know, two magnets, the connection is lost. Well, 
you know, why would you do that, you know, with dogs here? But I also think it boils down to, Terry, you got to trust that your dog is going to either learn how to handle those birds or trust that your dog knows to do it. I think a big part of that is is the connection, like you said earlier. Right. Some right. folks don't That's trust right. their dog. You want that connection of the dog wanting to be with you and say, okay, all right, we're a partnership here. You do your part, I do mine. Then we'll book it out. So it, 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 you know what I mean? So it becomes a partnership after a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, you got 10, okay, let me come kick it up for you. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, for that point. But like I said, see, you know what I mean? As far as back for a minute to as far as between the training back then and the training now, there's a whole lot more stuff that you can train. There's a whole lot more tools now to train with. It's how you utilize it for what you want to do with it, for what you want to get accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, because you know me, man. I'm a big, big proponent of barrel training and all of that stuff. And you did do it at, at a point. I don't think you do it anymore, but you use the Lindley no, method. Say that again. <laughs> I've done it uh, uh, first beginning. Right. Now, what made you stop doing it? And I've had the argument, too, and it's what folks, whatever you want to do. I've had the argument that it's just an extra step and it's not really necessary. I love it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. Whatever you can do to get your dog as trainers. Okay. Now. Look at it this way. I'm a firefighter engineer. That means I drive the fire truck. Mm-hmm. Engineer means that I know what all them buttons mean, them gauges mean, them numbers mean, and all that crap. That, that's what engineer means. Now, there are certain ways that I do things that I've learned over the years that may not be in the book or by the book, but it gets the job done. Yeah. What I'm saying is as a trainer, if it works for you and helps you to get your dog where it needs to get to, then utilize that. Me personally, I like the concept of stopping the dog with the pinch collar and the check cord and making it stand still. That I like that. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Because that's because I've done the up. I've done the barrel. I've done the post. I've done all that up. I've done the harness. Right. You see what I'm saying? You know, I've done the harness to where the, the wool the wool post where the dog is dangling in the air and then set it down. You know what I mean? When it goes to move. I've done I've done all that. Right. Most system makes more sense and it works for me at my time in life and at my age right now. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So so that works for me. See, I understand that concept of asking the dog, hey, stand right here for me. Stand still. Now, stand still on your bird. Gotcha. Now, um, I don't want you looking all pretty while you're standing still there for me, but when you on a bird and stuff, you're going to look pretty because you're smelling the bird. Right. So that same respect you're giving me by standing still for me when there ain't no bird, stand there for me while you are on the bird. Because if you move, that bird going to fly. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand still, not with a verbal word, but I'm going to ask you with my pitch collar and my e collar. 
and I'm going to either ask you lightly or I'm going to knock your pecker in the dirt. It's your choice. <laughs> yeah. Because my fingers on the button and on the level. Now, the first time I tap you to stop, if you ain't tapping, then that notch is going up to a little bit more, a little bit bigger. So, guess what? <laughs> you know what I mean? You got a choice. <clears throat> you yeah. know, so, but like I said, <clears throat> the Larry method, in my, at my time, like my, at my age right now, it works better for me. Right. Right. No, I and I think the Lindley method is, is excellent. Don't get me wrong, because I use bits and pieces of it. I, I'm what I want people to understand about this podcast and, and, and just, I guess, dog training in general is there is no absolute truth to one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no I, I use about three people's method mainly because when some don't work then I and I, I so I go through Lindley I go through Delmar Smith Robert Whaley and uh Bud Moore right. which is all a, a combination of what Neil Carter does so right. I keep those books on hand you see what I'm saying because if one thing don't work it's, it's like going to school you got different teachers you know what I'm saying? One and, guy asked me one time, why do I use a check cord for handling? Why do I handle a dog? Well, when you're teaching a dog certain things, the dog needs to handle for you. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to, you can you can assure those results. Right. Okay. When, I, when I'm wanting to teach the dog to stand still, I need for that dog to handle for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, when I'm doing certain things to the dog, so it seems like if I got in a training situation and I got birds planted out in a certain spot and I'm working that dog toward there and I need to go to the left. I don't need the dog running 500 yards or whatever to the right. Right. You need to come go with me over here because this is the way we're going. And it also goes back down to if the dog ain't going <laughs> to do it on the check cord, damn sure ain't going to do it right. off the check cord. Exactly. So you show the dog what you want and then you let the extension of the check cord. See, all the e-call is an extension of the check cord. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how it is. Yeah. Now, because if the dog was like that, you had a long check cord on it, you need for the dog to turn left, you tap the dog to turn left or you go to the left and the dog complies with you because you got, cause, because it feels that POC. You know what POC is? What's, POT? What's Point of contact. Yep. Well, that, and that's there you go with your Delmar right. stuff. Contact can be the collar around the neck, or it can be the collar around the flank, or a half hitch around the flank. Yeah, <clears throat> but it's all that. Now you're talking Delmar stuff because <laughs> I'm again point of contact and just building that. Um, now yeah. let me let me let me let me ask you this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the specifics of all of your dogs because you you spoke highly about really all of them you know what i guess knowing what you know now but you still say tesha was a better dog than even django now i think django is pretty good from what you showed me what what were the major differences pros and cons like if you had to pull out the good and bad and 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 both of them and the way that you trained all of that stuff tesha was a good grouse dog because there was plenty of grouse at the time 
Django is a good dog now, not because of grouse, but because of the exposure I have put him in, even on not on wild birds, but on all, but on good pin raised birds. Okay. See, Django has had a ton of pin raised birds. Django has not had a whole uh, a whole ton of wild birds. Django can hunt wild birds, and Django can handle woodcock. Django jam up on woodcock, man. I mean, he nailed woodcock to the wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and with the with the right amount of grouse, he'll, he'll nail a grouse. See what I'm saying? But sometimes Django is pretty quick, the word that he runs too quick and runs past and then lock up, but then now that time the grouse is getting out of Dodge. Right. See what I'm saying? So it's not that he's not a good grouse dog yet, it's just that he has not had enough grouse exposure to make him a stump down dog like Tetra was because of the grouse we had back then when I had her. That makes sense. See, Tessa was, I'm going to say it, forgive me, Tessa was a bitch. <laughs> but, what made her, but what made her a good bitch is we had plenty of birds. Yeah. <laughs> so she was, she was going to get the birds regardless. <laughs> hey, you could take Tessa and let her out of the truck. She didn't care whether you got out of the truck or not. She was going to find a bird. If you wanted to join the party, come on. Nah, hey, whatever. She's going to find a bird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, but you now, need. Django, I can let him out. He'll run off hunting the bird. But if I'm not coming with them by 10 minutes, he will come back check on me. Same way with Daisy. Yeah. Seems like it. Yeah. They're just different dogs. They you different dogs for a right. different time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. What they say that that's Tessa was a dog with what they what they call a lot of go. Uh, yeah, didn't didn't give a damn. Just gone. Just she out of here. Django got a lot of go if he's not finding birds. See, Django's good for about an hour. After mm-hmm. about an hour, if he ain't finding birds, Django start to range. Then I start to then I have to handle Django a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see, now, I won't holler for Django every now and then. You know what I mean? I say Django to get his attention. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm not. I won't go through the oh, Django here. Django, but I wouldn't do that. I let my caller do that. Right. <clears throat> and just reel them on back in. No, I I think it takes that though. See, and and again, we just hunt in different country because like <laughs> with 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 Vegas, if he if we don't find birds within an hour and he start ranging, see you later. I come to you, you know, but, but again, I, I also have way less of a chance of losing a dog. You know what I'm saying? Out in the woods in the grouse woods, it's a different story. I want <laughs> Vegas to right. go it, that joker hit 350 some yards one day. And I was like, great. I will see you later. Just when I get right. there, it better be some birds there. Right. You know, um, so it's just it's it's very interesting hearing again a grouse hunter talking to a quail hunter <laughs> about the uh, the specifics of our dogs. I mean, and at the end of the day, we we all love you know different types of birds and things like that. But I guess that brings me to another one of my questions, man, because it's a you know like you said in in a lot of forums and stuff like that. You hear a whole bunch of divisionists, and God knows everybody has an opinion. So if we if we're really boiling down to it, man, what is what is something that 
I guess people can learn like about the exchange of ideas. Cause you and I talk about hell at this point, damn near, damn near every day. We, you know, yeah. and we don't, we don't necessarily always align on the same way of going about training, but then sometimes we do. So what do you think people really need to, you know, be focusing on when we're exchanging ideas? Cause it's just so much damn division. Well, you got the good old boys that won't, don't want to change nothing. Right. You know what I'm saying? You got their way or it's their way or the highway, and that's how they want to do it. Well, <clears throat> if you are having a problem with your dog and you ask me for my opinion, I'm going to give you my opinion. If you don't want my opinion, don't ask me for my opinion. Now, if you use my opinion, great. If you don't, you know what I mean? I'm going to give you. Now, I'm going to take your opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, okay, now, like I said, now, if, now, like I said, now, if I, was into field trialing, I would look you up and say, well, okay, now, teach me the in and out of this thing. Because mm-hmm. you know about field See what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Now, just like for grouse, you said, like, okay, well, now, okay, how do we go about this thing? Well, this is the grouse woods now. So I may say, don't let him get so far because guess what? He's over that ridge. You know what I'm saying? Now, we're going toward that ridge, but not right now. Right. So let's keep him a little bit closer in here. Now, when we head toward that ridge, by all means, let him go toward that ridge. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Suppose that because the grouse woods are entirely different from the quail, from the flat land of the quail uh, 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 situation. Mm-hmm. See, in that batch of mountains and grouse hunting, the dog can get down in the holler and you don't even hear his beeper because <clears throat> he's in the holler. Right. And you're going, well, where's my freaking dog at? And he gone. And if the dog ain't on point mode, you never going to know what a dog unless you got the garment on it. You know what I mean? To say, okay, well, he's, oh, he's, a, oh, he's, 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 he's 300 yards now. Right. The yeah. wrong way. See, if I'm going to the right, I don't want my dog 300, dog to, 300 yards to the left. Right. <clears throat> you see what I'm saying here? No, I mean, I mean that's, that, that, that's, just, that's just me in yeah. the grouse woods. Yeah. So, now, if I'm in a field, guess what? This flat land, knock yourself out, dude. Yeah, get on out of there. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that, man. Like, we are, we are in a, in a, in a time, in a place, like, you know, I've been doing this four years now. You've been doing this since, you know, the mid mid eighties. And you and I can come together and talk about dog training and, and things like that. And it ain't never no issue. But it just seems like, like you said, folks don't want to don't want to change. You know, now mind you, I'm also a firm believer that some things are like it, it's kind of if the wheel ain't broke, don't fix it type deal. There's a lot of stuff right. in a lot of these old books that I be getting. Some of that right. true. I'm a I am a firm believer that a pointer is the quintessential quail dog. Period. I, you right. know, I and and, and I, I, that is what I focus on. But when I think about. All of the things I need a specialist. A pointer is a bird specialist. There's some things that to me are indisputable. A setter, same thing. A, a classic plantation quail dog. A classic right. grouse dog. Right. 
there's some, and it's not not a knock, but I just I just think that there are some things that you have to be willing to shake on when it comes to training a dog. But when it comes to the 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 baseline facts of a dog, some of that ain't changed since the early 1900s, Terry. Right. <laughs> it just hasn't. <laughs> We have a lot of tools now to our that at our discretion that we can use to help our dogs succeed. Mm-hmm. So you can help your bird dogs succeed now more than you could, you know what I mean, long, long time ago. The only way you could help your dog succeed back in the day, you took it hunting and you found birds when right. it was when they're prey. <laughs> now, before your dog get in the wood, you can help your dog succeed. Right. Before your dog even get in the wood. With the areas we have to train and with the tools we have to train with. This is just a totally different ball game. You can, you can. Right. So, yeah. just, you know what I mean? So it, it, and, and, and I got a buddy of mine who has the little Brittany. Well, he loves telling his dog, well, we have to see it stop. He's impressed by if the dog is going across the field, that he all will it stop. I could care less about that crap. As long as the dog is standing my birds, I could care less whether it's going to stand still when I. Just having to tell it to stop. Right. Or when I say whoa. I ain't doing nothing but putting but putting unnecessary foolishness on top of that dog. Let the bird tell the dog when to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean it it there's so much <laughs> like there and I and I think a lot of that is the 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 newer mindset of keeping a dog in the house right so so hear me out on this and i i did have my dog in the house and i moved him out for a lot of different reasons but when you have that that i want a part-time hunting dog part-time house dog which is fine that's just the way that life has progressed at this point in time well i think there there is the idea that there has to be a whole lot more control over that dog. You see what I'm saying? Because you, you, see, need, you have something to the point of, well, a better, uh, a house dog make a better hunting dog. I don't agree with that. Mm-mm. If I wanted a foo-foo dog, house dog, I would have a foo-foo dog, house dog that's not my hunting dog. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And and you talking to somebody yeah. that I will never keep my dogs in the house again. It was cool when I did it, but right. Vegas, but never he never had a chance to live in the house like that, other than when he was a puppy and he had to, just be, for health right. and safety reasons. But you know, my lab, Ruger, is a totally different dog now. Right. Than than he was when he was an owl. He's he's much more raw. Vegas right. understands that when you come out that kennel, we are doing one of two things: training or hunting. And and right. that, and that's the bottom line facts of it. And also, you're talking about a dog that, especially a, the pointer breed, they don't want to do nothing but business anyway. Exactly. You know, so but I think that because there is this notion of having a dog that's kind of all around, you know, kind of an all around dog, you get folks trying to reel in and still control the dog 
while they're out in the field instead of letting them do what he's supposed to do. Right. <clears throat> you know. Hey, when it's a cold and then the snow blowing, I don't want that dog going to shoot. Man, that's that in the house and say about the TV. Mm-mm. <laughs> this time I'm going to hunt. That's yeah. You know, I mean, and, and there there are absolute extremes mind you but you know even still I, I just moved my dogs you know at, you know inside my garage where it's much warmer but up until it gets about freezing I need my dogs to know how to be outside exactly and know how to work and run but I am I am again now a firm believer in kennel dogs like that's just and, and it took me a second to to understand that dynamic and appreciate that that, that dynamic, you know. Um, and that's because all the dogs that I had in the past were house dogs. Up until right. I got a bird dog, so you know it's 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 interesting the level of control that you know human beings we we want on these dogs, and and you kind you got to let them run, man. Right. You know, um, you just got to let them let them run. Now, both of us are from the South. You born and raised in North Carolina, from what I remember, correct? Right. What do you think, especially growing up? Because your your father was a hunter, too, right? Yeah, my father, my dad was a rabbit hunter. He was a hard rabbit hunter. Right. Uh, What about granddaddy? Uh, I never knew my granddaddy. Okay. Okay. So, what, either my mom or my dad's in. Okay. Gotcha. 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 So, what do you think is so significant about the life and culture of hunting down here in the South? And because you travel too now, so what do you, what do you think right. is it is about this down here? About what the. Uh about what the game or the what uh, for as uh, the culture of hunting. Mm-hmm. Cause it seems so unique, so distinctly different than everything else. In then in, in many okay. other places. I mean I can make that argument fifty million different ways, but to you, what has really stood out about the culture of upland game hunting down here and okay. bird dogs? Okay, as far as the culture up here. The culture up here, I could, when I was a kid, I could, there was 10 Afro-American families that rabbit hunted constantly. This day and time, there may be maybe four of that generation that still rabbit hunt of Mm Afro-Americans in the area that I live in. There's no upland bird hunting that in my area that Afro-Americans do up here. They either... Now, uh, Afro-Americans up here do not fly fish or trout fish. I yeah. fly fish and trout fish. You are, you, are you are the distinct outlier. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, like I said, see, before I got into grouse hunting in the winter, I will be in the river. 
right. I was in the river and someday it was so cold whether you see the eyes in the, in, in the real freezing. <laughs> you know what I mean? With a pair of neoprene waders on, neoprene gloves on, enjoying my day, you know what I mean? Trout fishing. Right. Wading in the river. You know what I mean? Then I got some, some grouse hunting that dad with the neighborhood. You know what I mean? But anyway, mm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rabbit hunters. You know what I'm saying? Uh, some of the guys that I rabbit hunt with every now and then have no clue about upland bird hunting. Now, there's been times where they've been in an old apple orchard and get up a batch of quail and maybe shoot a couple of them because the rabbits all ran them up. Right. You know what I mean? You know, and that type of thing. But for me to try to tell them and explain to them the concept of quail hunting or grouse hunting or training, they understand training, you know what I mean, because they train their rabbit dogs. Now, the newer generation now train their dogs like I do with e-collars. Right. Because now they got that bigger system where you can put eight or nine dogs on in one transmitter and control your dogs. Right. See, rabbit dogs now can be trained just like a bird dog. You can teach a bigger to load your truck just like you can teach a bird dog to load your truck. You can teach a bigger now to come into you when you call it just like you can teach a bird dog. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so that part of it has changed because of the technology of those who wanted to change. But then again, you still had them old timers that would not put a shock collar on their beagle, you know what I mean? Because they wanted to do it the old fashioned way. But a lot of those guys are dead and gone now. Yeah. As far as the Afro-Americans. Okay. And it's just like your coon hunters, you call Cajun coon hunters. There's no Afro-American coon hunters where I live at anymore. There's a lot of Caucasian coon hunters you know what I mean? And bear hunters. Well, right. they are technology down because they got the tracking system. They got the latest, the finest tracking system. Their truck looks like it's about to fall apart, but they got the best dog box and the best call system you can ever have. All right. So speaking of the latest and greatest technology tracking system, I just want to make sure you guys are staying on track with Onyx Hunt. Guys, it is the Gundog Notebooks podcast title sponsor. Be sure to go use the code GDN20 for 20% off. Use some of these new features that we've got going on in Onyx Maps. But like I said, you know what I mean? They got all the latest equipment now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The track, the dog boxes, their truck about to fall apart, but they got all the, the latest equipment as far as knowing where their dog is. Right. Yeah, I mean. You know, and I had a buddy of mine say, why don't you get you that Apple 77, you know what I mean? 115. I said, look. <clears throat> I don't necessarily, while I'm grouse hunting in the woods, I don't want to have to look down at a screen to know where my dog is. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know, and while I'm in the woods, I like to look at stuff, man. You know what I mean? Now, I'm listening to my beeper and my dog or my bell, but at the same time, I'm looking at that waterfall. I'm looking at that berry bush. I'm looking at that pretty stand of pine trees or that pretty stand of of hemlocks or that pretty stand of mountain law. See what I'm saying? Because I like, I like being in the woods. Right. I'm looking at that stream, that creek. You know what I mean? While I'm listening, now at the same time I'm enjoying nature, I'm also listening for my beeper and I'm listening for my bell and my bird dog. Right. 
And so you, you, you are, I mean, it's just, if it's a much more immersive experience. Um, I think we got to be careful, man, with, with, with technology in that way. I'm glad you actually brought that up. Um, we have to be because you mess around and be looking at your dang, you know, e-collar system the whole time and, and missing out on everything that's going on. Um, yeah. You know, and then you want to, they got to about Bill Sweet is very, Bill Sweet is very pretty in the woods. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, them berries and it's a vine that's wrapped around a tree where it makes that tree, that, that, that vine makes that, that makes that tree look like, look like it's a big old, you know what I mean? Bittersweet tree. You right. know what I mean? But exactly a vine wrapped around that tree. Right. I like to enjoy stuff like that. You know what I mean? But if I'm continuously looking at the screen of my garment, saying, well, oh, well, Django's 200 yards now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm, missing, I, I'm missing. Now, I can enjoy nature and still listen to my bird dog because I'm listening for that bear. But see, my ears are trained for three things. My ears are trained for my bell, and my ears are trained for my beeper, and my ears are trained to hear a grouse flush. Which take a lot of See, the whole time I'm listening to my dog beeper and my dog bell, I'm listening for a grouse to flush. Right. So, I mean, and that, that there, see, that's a very, uh, that's a, a, a very specific you know, thing to be looking for too. Yeah, so that's a very, very, very specific thing to be looking for. If I'm being totally honest, right? You know, um, because it it took me the longest time to to learn. <laughs> what I mean, you hear a quail flush right up under you. That's different, but. To learn when they getting out, you know, getting out from under your feet from a God knows however long because they're flushing wild. Um, it, it, that also brings me another question. So, North Carolina grouse are are they the type of birds that are wildly on you know all throughout the year, or do you have them when you are hunting them where they they progressively get you know more or tougher to, to chase as the season closes? They're easy our birds at the beginning of the season when you have a young hatch. Mm-hmm. That's what we call the young birds. They ain't been educated yet. When do you start to see the change? Okay. Uh, you start to see the change around about, depends on how much they have been hunted or how much they have been harassed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, most of the time, the harassment don't come from hunters or I live. It comes from bike riders. It comes from hikers. Right. I guess in with the okay, I've seen a lot of changes in habitat where I live, and I've seen a lot of changes in the birds. See, mm-hmm. we got a lot of thing against now. We got a lot of thing against the grouse. Uh, we got the West Nile virus. Mm-hmm. It, and it seems to be affecting the birds quite a bit. Right. Okay. Uh, they didn't do clear cutting like that's supposed to back when they're supposed to, to where that the birds are you know, actually running out of a food source. Now, grouse is a hardy bird. In other words, when there ain't nothing yesterday, a grouse can pretty much make a meal off of whatever, anything. Right. So they are very resilient. If no disease or predators kill them, a grouse can really 
pretty much make it on his own with what he has around him. Right. Whether it's acorn, buds, buds, uh, you know what I mean? Just plain old buds off of trees and or, or even laurel leaves or even ferns. You know what I mean? I've seen them with a little bit of acorns in them. You know what I mean? So they can pretty much, you know what I mean, find food when they have to or when they need to. You know, uh, some of your remote areas where you think there would be birds. I've been in some areas this year where that the habitat would knock your socks off, but there was no birds. Really? Yeah, grouse needs several things. A grouse needs food source, cover, and a means of escape. When a grouse feeds or when he roosts, he has to have a means of escape. Okay. So a grouse will sit so that he can actually see. You know what I mean? What's going on and what's coming around him. Right. Because everything is trying to get the grouse. Yeah, just like quail. I mean, all of these game birds down here, man, you have to take, you know, take that in consideration and really just be mindful of it. That's where, you know, that's one of many reasons why I joined Quail Forever and Rough Grouse Society because hell at what point are we going to start taking a stand in it but you know have you and, and let me ask you have you seen any benefits from you know those organizations kind of you know coming in no. or no 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 not from right not around here all uh i was a member of one time of the welfare association around here mm-hmm. the only thing they wanted to do was talk about that big hunt chris out in michigan and maine and wisconsin that kind of stuff Right, so that never have done anything for here, and saying as far as to promote uh, uh, the the habitat. So you think that's more of a a, that the interest is more maybe north, right? They could they could really care less. See, and the government could care less about only thing the government care care around here is about deer hunters and turkey hunters and bicyclers. But see, the bicycles ain't paying one red cent. <laughs> Them damn bicyclists go piss you off. See what I'm saying? I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. I bought my cycle out. You know, you know how much my cycle out license cost me? That's that. My regular hunting license for the year was 125 but they charged me a WMA permit, which is the wildlife management mm-hmm. area. I have to pay seventy five dollars to hunt those areas. What? So my license for South Carolina this year cost me two hundred and one dollars. Good lord, man! And how much is the North Carolina one? Uh, I buy my uh, sportsman license. My sportsman license is fifty dollars every time I buy my license, and that'll cover everything. Right, that covers my trout fishing. That covers my small game hunting. And also my big game hunting. Good. But I don't have the area to cook like that. Right. I like Sacramento because when I pull up to the gate, I can go hunting when I get out of the gate to start to walk. Around here, I've got to walk three hours before I could even get in the cover to start to hunt. Right. So it's, it's, not, it's becoming not, not even worth your time to even bother with it up there. That's See, a, they charged me for a non-resident license, which is one hundred and twenty-five dollars. Cause I'm a non-resident of South Carolina. Right. But they also charged me for use. See, that seventy-five dollars is for me to use the game land. 
Right. That's what that's seventy five dollars is for. It's just taxing. <laughs> now, yeah. if they would charge the bicycle seventy five dollars for a usage fee every year, man, the state would be rolling in the dough, man. <laughs> and they would have money to the fix dude. the roads and stuff like the roads maintain and do what they're supposed to do. Right. And actually, you know, maybe even work on conservation projects. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, they don't. Well, I mean, I and I hope that is a a, a message heard, man. I I know there are some folks in North Carolina that you know maybe, uh, you know, part of North Carolina rough grouse society and stuff like that. But like, there are things that have to be done, man. It can't just be. You know, focusing on grouse up north. So I, I really hope that message is heard, you know, on this podcast. And I'm glad you even said it and, and is so very, 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 very honest about it. Because, dude, if, if if the game is there, why not take care of it? Well, I want to support my state. But if my state is not doing anything for me as a hunter, then guess what? I just go somewhere else and support them that are doing something. Right. And 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 give that money elsewhere. Kind of like that, especially you take your home first. <laughs> yeah. And but like you- I said, home ain't taking care of me because they could care less about me as a small game hunter. They could care less. Yeah. About whether I got access to the property or not, whether. Or whether there is birds, or whether what can they do to help the small game population, they could cure that. Well, we need we need to take a stand on on that and 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 make it a point for people to. I just want support. I buy my license for for South Carolina and, and take hunting trips. Right, and that's a couple of three hours away from you. Exactly. Yeah. But so many spaces. I mean, there there's a few spots, but ain't nothing really, 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 you know, crazy See, good left. I have not even scratched the surface down in South Carolina yet. The the the, uh, the Sumter National Forest, man, it is. I could hunt down there until the season closed. Yeah, and not cover the same piece of property every time I go. Yeah. Well, that's what I do in South Georgia. I ain't covered that whole thing. Right. <clears throat> You know, I mean, and once you get a spot, ain't no shame in in, in hitting it again. You know, long as right. you long as you approach it correctly too. And so you know, that's that's really the catch. I mean, that don't mean going in there and, and burning up all the birds before you even you know before they even got a chance to get out or grow up. Right. And so <clears throat> I think that is that's the next thing. Well, I'm I'm glad that's been out there, man. Well. Terry, before we wrap up the podcast, um, is there anything you want to leave out there for for the listeners and and everybody like that? Like, what 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 do you want to leave out there? Here where I live, young people don't grouse hunt. Young people don't quail hunt. There's very few. Now you got some areas, but as far as him saying, okay. <clears throat> If we don't pass this on to somebody, that we would nobody to do it. But most of our young generation now don't want to do this. They mm-hmm. don't want to walk behind a bird dog. They don't want to train a bird dog. They want to sit behind a computer or a smartphone. Yeah. Now, 
they'll play hunting game on their smartphone, <laughs> but as far as getting a bird dog and walking behind it, they don't want to do that. Right. You know, so, all right, well, you can't blame them because when you go out for four or five hours and not move no birds, what's the point? Right. Uh, you know, unless you were just you intrinsically know, so, invested yeah. in it, yeah. So how are we going to <clears throat> convince and help our youth continue on the hunting tradition if there's no game to hunt? Mm-hmm. If you have not done anything within the state you live in to promote hunting or help the game, you know what I mean, that you're wanting, you know, that you that, that you're wanting to hunt. Right. No, you gotta be on it, man. You got we gotta be proactive about it as well. I'm going to make it a point um, to push more support and conservation you know, on this podcast. I, I've done it before, but I think, you know, of course, I, I, I listen to, to everything you say. And I think that needs to be pushed specifically for the state of North Carolina. So I will join you right. in that initiative to uh, to push it, especially if I'm gonna be hunting grouse there anyway. So I can definitely join you on that one, my friend. See, but like I said, I mean, you know, and and I agree with you also. Why can't we come together as bird hunters, switch ideas, exchange ideas, and apply different ideas instead of, okay, no, this is how I'm going to do it, and by God, I ain't going to change the way I do it, and you don't know what you're talking about. You, you see what I'm saying? Okay. I mean, why can't we not, see what I'm saying? Yeah. Come together as bird hunters. I am very proud of what you do. I'm very proud. Do you know how proud I was when you sent me that 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 that, that video of the uh, of all those Afro American men like myself walking behind a bird dog, riding a horse behind a bird dog? Oh yeah, the Patrick Upland video. Yeah, man. Look, I I'm glad you enjoyed it, and it's it is it's. I feel like it's a responsibility on my end. You know. Right. Um, because I also feel like a lot of our history hadn't been told accurately or right. told at all. Right. So, I mean, that means a lot coming from you, man. Like, thank you. <laughs> See, there I live in. I'm the first Afro-American firefighter for the city of Hinesville. Really? Yes. Wow. Okay. So we... We we really talk, you know, talking about some serious firsts out there, man. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I'm the only one. <laughs> and I can I can imagine how many are in Hendersonville. Uh, for firefighters, as far as the ones first who have paved the way, <clears throat> now we got a couple of black firefighters now. Yeah, you know what I mean. But as far as four time professional firefighters, I was the first one. Wow. That's wild. But, but now, Asheville and surrounding places like Asheville, Charlotte, Spartanburg, and then places there, they've always had, you know what I mean, but as far as Hendersonville, North Carolina. Right. I'm the only and the first. <laughs> okay. And I got in the file service in 1985. I've been in the file service since 85. Man, and, and well, you uh, you have definitely set... Set the bar high, you know, for some serious firsts. And not only, I'm sure, do do I appreciate your service and 
everybody else, you know, listening, because that's a, that is not an easy job. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, burn, huh? yeah, well, you know, I, I can imagine that you, maybe you're a glutton for, for, for crazy, crazy jobs. Cause you, you're a firefighter and then you go out looking for grouse in North Carolina and it ain't a whole lot of them left anyway. So, <laughs> Well, see, my, I'm, I'm crazy anyhow because I run in buildings when people running out. So that don't make me too bright. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I I think, man, that takes a certain type of person. People are trying to break their neck getting out. I'm trying to break my neck getting in. <laughs> break your neck and everything around it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, look, but like I said. Grass hunting gives me a release. Yeah. I've seen some things in my career for as kids, grown up. I've, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of madness. I've seen a lot of tragedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen a lot of buildings burned. I've seen all kind of mess. But when I'm in the woods grouse hunting, I don't have to deal with this 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 yeah. this thing called life. Yeah. You just meet my bird dog. You and your dogs, man. And enjoying my day. Yeah. That's what it should be. That's really what it should be, man. Um, whether it's walking through the field or whether it's walking across the ridge. Well, we we going to do both of that because, look, once I get up there Monday, um, get up there early Monday morning and we get into some quail, hopefully, I mean, not quail, some grouse, hopefully. You know, I got a beat on the spot. And then uh, there's a, my buddy, new new buddy, uh, met him on social media, uh, uh, Noah Smith. He's a young dude, matter of fact that actually right. sent me those spots. He's, he's from out that way. Um, right. So we'll, we'll go check that out. Um, you know, we'll see. And then when you come down to Georgia, man, I'm going to make sure you get into some quail. So, you know, but like I, I said, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, figure out between that and where we, we can meet at them saying the four as two and then where we can meet at and stuff and hook up and go check those spots. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, now what I suggest is since it's grouse hunting, once you get in the woods, you're in the woods. Yeah. So bring you plenty to drink, bring you uh, sandwiches, bring you apples, <laughs> bring whatever you want to eat, bonbons or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, and just stay in the woods. You know what I mean? For as, you know what I mean? Uh, crackers or whatever. Yeah. Oh, now look, down here, I don't lead a, I don't actually go back to my truck until it's time to go down here. So. Right. You know, I, I definitely understand that, so. I'm here with you, buddy. <laughs> Trust me on that one. Trust with me on that one. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, that's that's an excellent episode. And Terry, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast. I, we've been talking about it for a minute. Well, I appreciate you uh, asking me to be on. I hope, <laughs> you know what I mean, my, my little bit of input, you know what I mean, helped somebody along the way if it was to encourage them to you know, pick up a bird, pick up a gun, and walk behind a bird dog. Man, well, I think it's gonna help a whole lot of folks. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast. And I just, you know, I want to tell y'all to get in the grouse woods, go support North Carolina uh, grouse conservation, and and let's get more involved. I'm definitely gonna do it on my end. And guys, I will talk to y'all next week. And always, ladies and gentlemen, please go check out my title sponsor, Onyx Maps. 
Download the app from your uh, phone's app store. Use the code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. I want to thank Dakota 283 Kennels, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Garmin Fish and Hunt, uh, Lion Country Supply. Make sure you guys get out there for your local conservation organizations. Quail Forever, Business Forever, uh, Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society, and so many other upland bird hunting conservation organizations. Guys, thank y'all for another wonderful episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast, and I will see y'all next week.